This message is brought to you by The Covenant Nation. Thank you for the presence of your spirit. I ask by the power of your same spirit that you grant utterance. I speak as your oracle. Your word goes forth unhindered by any demonic force. But our hearts be established in the light of your countenance. In Jesus' name, amen. You may all be seated, please. All right, we're on the theme of a series on working at the supernatural. And I'm going to start by reading a testimony and then also playing a, a testimony. And it's a testimony that deals with the power of the spoken word. The power of the spoken word. Last week we spoke about the effect of our words and how powerful they are. So let me read the first one here. This is from a church member just um, this week, right? I think Monday. And the person writes, is this a miracle or what? Pastor taught, taught us um, during Wolfbeck, which I have been practicing, he taught that when an evil spirit is in operation through a thought or something, you cut off the head of that thing with words. Then she goes on and says, or he, on my way to school yesterday, I had a flash of death of my sibling. In that flash, she was shot multiple times. I paused and said out loud, there is no death, not for me or any of my siblings. They're working, they're here, or there is, the working of miracles for us. And then I prayed Psalm 91. I am happy about this, and person writes glory. The reason is this. My brother poured a pot of macaroni on fire at 10 p.m. last night and slept off. We woke up at 6 a.m. this morning and the food was boiled and intact. And the pot was clean and it was safe. Do you understand what I'm Eight hours on fire, the food didn't burn. All right. I'm going to show the power of words here. From, this from a first-timer who joined the church towards the end of last year. Now, the second one I want to play it, all right, is from a friend. In fact, she started um, the church with us when we started. That's one of the first 27 people. And she now lives in England. And she sent me this voice note. And I want to play the voice note. I just want to put her image there so there's a face to it. Could you play it, please? Pastor, good evening. Um, how are you? I, I know you're surprised I'm sending you a voice note, but um, something just happened now, and too much, too much, too much. I just needed to share it with you. I think I needed to just share it with you. So, 
this evening, um, my daughter wanted to come buy some groceries from the shop for her. She needed snacks for school tomorrow and all that, so bread and all of that. And I also wanted to buy some fruits. So she had teens prayer meeting and she said to me that um, after the teens meeting, that can I please drive her? I said, okay, no problem. So the teens meeting finished about 8.30 our time. And so we, I just got in the car like, okay, let's go. So the shop is on the right side of the road. I know we drive on the left side and there's no way to, to navigate into the shop except you turn around. So I had to look for a side road <clears throat> to turn around and then turn into. So as I turned, as I was about to come into the main road, I looked, of course, we look right, left and then right again. That's how we look. So I looked and I didn't see this car coming and the car was coming fast, pretty fast because... Of course, the car expected me to to wait, and I didn't say it. So as I saw it, it was a little too late. It was too close. It was extremely close. And my daughter screamed at the top of her voice, like, stop, you know? And I saw it, and in all the panic, rather than press the brakes, rather than slam on the brakes, I slammed on the, um, and I pressed the accelerator to move forward. But pastor, I'm telling you that, as I pressed the accelerator, the car stopped. My car stopped. I pressed the accelerator and the car stopped. <sighs> and that was how, you know, that accident, I already saw, it's as if I heard the sound blah, 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 already, but the car just drove past me because I was already in the road. It just navigated and drove past me. And I just said, Jesus, this is totally angelic, angelic assistance. But I want to rewind. This morning also, I took my daughter to the station. And as I drove out of the station, I was just inspired to say these words. And I declared it. I said, I shall not hit anybody. And no one, no car shall hit me, my car. And those were the words I just declared for no reason. Just inspired. I just said it and I declared it and I just drove away. And yeah, so that's what happened. And I started shared with you. I'm telling you, it's I'm still shaking, as in I can't believe what just happened. But I just thank God and I just wanted to share it with you. All right, thank you, Pastor. Good night. All right. The point of what she's saying and what I want to draw in here, like that same the first person said, they spoke when a thought came up. All right? This is a very powerful principle. Don't let thoughts come up until you are sorrowful and depressed and they weigh down on you, all right? And then you wait for, because once a thought comes up, your spirit man is connected to the realm of the spirit. It is alerting you that demonic activities are in motion for something. And it's at that particular point in time, it's alerting you to truncate the activities of that spirit by speaking words that actually are a declaration of God's will and promise over your life, but also contradict and nullify the effect, all right, of that particular spirit. So this is so important in practice. The time when you meet with a situation, let's assume that you are expecting something to happen, you had prayed, you had done all of that, 
and you entered a situation and you experienced some disappointment because it didn't turn out the way you felt it should turn out, and your heart sings, that's the best time to make confessions of God's promises because you are cutting off a spirit that is in operation to cause God's will to come to pass. Are you following what I'm saying? So I play those two testimonies for us to understand the effect of this. So I'll pick up from where we stopped last week. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 28, the power in our words. And I want to move on to the next step. But we start with the power that is found in our words. And I say this again, that your words have more influence over the outcome in your life than what God has decided to do. All right? With your words, you either liberate God, or with your words, I repeat, you incapacitate God from moving in your own space. I'm not saying that you incapacitate God from moving on the outside. I'm not saying you can incapacitate God from moving on the earth. A man's unbelief will not nullify the effect of God's word. That word will look for somebody else that creates the room and space within their own lives for it to be fulfilled, and God will therefore operate in and through that particular individual. So in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 28 here, let's see the principle here. Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Now when God said they spoke in his ears, let's understand this. It's not that in prayer they went up to God and said, God, we will fail. We will not succeed. We will die here. It was conversations they were having in response to the pressure on the outside. So everything you say in a conversation, God hears. Do you understand what I'm saying here? If you get into conversation with a friend and talk about how difficult it is, it is entering into the ears of God. If you are discussing people and say, listen, it is impossible to succeed in a certain environment, you are speaking directly to God. You are not making it impossible for a person to succeed in that environment. You are making it impossible for your own self to succeed. In other words, the redemptive rights that we have in Christ Jesus and the benefits of the blood of Jesus are made, all right, through the confession of your lips, you make it your private property or you reject it in your own life. So hear what God said here. Next verse. Your carcass shall fall in the wilderness and all that were numbered with you according to the whole of your number from 20 years old upwards, which have murmured against me. Doubtless. Well, a few times God says doubtless. Well, this is a law that can't be reversed. Without a shadow of doubt, you shall not come into the land concerning which I swore to make you dwell in. Do you get what we're saying here? God swore to make you dwell, that's to make them dwell in that land, but he said, without a shadow of doubt. Now, let's understand what it means to swear here. Uh, Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews talked about it, that an oath is for, uh, it's a confirmation to end all strife. In other words, God, by two immutable things, to make it impossible for him to lie, that's the promise and oath here, he gave a covenant to Abraham. 
And he said because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Now, this is the idea behind it. It's not that God's promise in itself needed an oath for it to come to pass. But the recipient of the promise had to understand the certainty in what God was saying. So let's give an example here. If you need five million naira, you go to the house of a person, and that person says to you, you need it, all right, all right, by, by Tuesday at 5 p.m., and he says, well, on Monday at 10 p.m., I will make available to you, all right, and transfer the five million naira into your account. You can go, all right, and negotiate with all certainty concerning that because it will be your account at 10 p.m. on that day. Now, your heart shakes. Am I sure this person will do this? I don't want to take any risks just on his word. So he says, let me give you a contract. He says, bring your lawyer. And then he bring your lawyer. And then he signs a contract bound by the law of the land that if I don't give you that five million by 10 p.m. on Monday morning, this house that I'm living in that is worth 500 million becomes yours. He has sworn by something greater. Once you swear by something greater, you know that it, right, is to that person's benefit that he fulfills what they say, or else the loss will be greater. So God could have sworn by the whole earth to you that if I don't fulfill what I said, the whole earth belongs to you, but the earth was smaller than him. He could have sworn by the whole of heaven and said the whole of heaven becomes your private property. This is what is behind the promise God gives. That I give it to you if I don't do it. He said, but it is too small. So I swore by myself. Now, God swore by himself to them, but told them, your conversations will nullify my oath. Do you understand what we're saying? You are a Christian. Don't speak words anyhow. Don't just join conversations there and say that because this is how I feel. There is nothing like your truth. There is the truth. You, then you have your feelings, but your feelings is not the truth. The way you feel about something is not the, the way the thing really is. Are you following what I'm saying? So there is the truth there. And we're saying this. And God therefore says this. So the first law here we said is there is no movement with God if you are speaking the wrong words. Therefore, you have to consciously to operate in the supernatural, make conscious, powerful affirmations that create room for God to be able to work in your life. In other words, you create space with the powerful words that you are speaking to create room for God to be able to come in. He told Esther, or Mordecai told Esther in Esther chapter 4 and verse 14. He said, if you all together hold your peace at this time, then shall the enlargement and deliverance come from somewhere else. In other words, you can't hold your peace 
here, you have got to speak words because God needs an enlargement. In other words, the space where you are in doesn't manifest, which means the things you are thinking are beneath God's nature. So it says, open your mouth wide and I will feel it. Therefore, begin to make powerful declarations about 2024. That's why it tells us in Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 2, it says, enlarge your tent. It says, lengthen your courts, enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch forth the curtains of thy inhabitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. He says, you will break forth. One says, but what if it doesn't work? God says, listen, for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left hand, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make desolate cities to inhabit it. And he says, fear not, for you shall not. He says, there's be ashamed. All right? So all that Christ did for humanity becomes your private property through your confessions and declarations. When we realize that we can never rise above our confession, we are getting into a place where God can mightily use us. Let me repeat what I said. When you realize you cannot rise above the words that you speak, you understand that. Then you are getting into a place where God can mightily use you. So start out, this beginning of the year here, we're in a fast, and start, says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. It says this, so prepare the way of the Lord. Don't take into cognizance the externalities. Don't say to yourself here, listen to this, all right, I don't have the resources or wherewithal to get it done. You don't. Because he that observes the wind shall not do what? So. And he that regards the cloud will rip. So don't look on the outside. Make those bold declarations from the inside there. And speak it forth into your own life. You know, a friend of mine in Abuja told me this story. I shared this. All right, number I told me this story here. And this is why I've said here again that, you know, Teens, I mean, also I'm very strong here. Teens should come inside the church. There's no need for any teens church again. All right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the people are too young. They may not understand. What won't they understand? Let me tell you this. I started this ministry at the age of 23. Four years after being a teenager. Did you hear what I said? Four years after being a teenager. As a teenager in University of Lagos, I held a convention that I haven't matched as an adult is as, 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 what is it, 13 days convention. We called that Bishop Idaosa. We called Bishop David. We called, we called every Reverend George Adigwe, the late Bishop Elomopo. We called Reverend Sabane. We packed the place. Reverend Christopher Kobe packed the place. 13 days. We turned back over a thousand people in University of Lagos Auditorium. I was a teenager. Let me tell you this, we raised the money inside the fellowship for the convention. I would not go outside to ask anybody who are all teenagers, and we raised it. And God permit me, Reverend Amiko told me, after we gave him his honorarium, 
And I'll say this for people to hear. He said, look, he came to meet me after. I came back one evening. I said, come, I need to tell you this. He said, this thing you are doing here, I hope you understand what is going on. We were teenagers. He said, what you gave me as an honorarium is, is four times the amount what a church in this city that sits 5,000 people every Sunday morning gave me as an honorarium when I preached. We were students. As a student, I will go, all right, to Scripture Patriot in Bado. I'm going to be listening to Pastor Obi Johnson teaching deep stuff. We understood it. When I came to Lagos, I would go, all right, to Dr. Tune Jordan. Listen, we understood what you're saying. Jesus was 12 years old, though. 12. If, if they put Jesus in children's church, you would never have seen his destiny. <laughs> Jesus was 12 years old. I know what I'm talking about. 12 years old when he went to start discussing with doctors of law. And when he was asking them questions, they knew that, ah, where did you get this understanding from? It's just like us doing something, we finish a seminar, then a 12-year-old gets up and asks a deep question about the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. You will look, where did you child get it? He says, I must be about my father's business. Seriousness of purpose. At the age of 12. This friend of mine told me, he said at 18, he had a fellowship. They made an offer for a land for them that ran into billions. He said, God, how will I do it? This is what God told him. Remember when you were 18 years old, what happened? When you were 18, you had a fellowship. He was telling me, they said the fellowship grew to 500 people in, in the barracks. His father was a military officer. He said, they now decided that they were going to buy a generator. And you must understand, in the whole of the barracks, there was only one other generator in the commanding officer's house. So for you to say you are, you are, you are believing for a generator, you are, you, are, you, you, you are light in darkness. You get what I'm saying here? Huh? And he said, we didn't raise any money from outsiders. Inside that fellowship, five naira, three naira, four naira, he said that from time ago, he said, it's like we built. God told him, what you did there is all I ask of you to do now to build this church in billions. Are you following me? So this thing starts out, all right, by speaking words here. Don't join yourself and allow this world to squeeze you into its own mold. And reduce, all right, what you are saying, right, to the level there of what is going on on the outside. See, I must say this. I mean, we, we are global. There are people all over the world that listen, Canada, everywhere, our church is there. I mean, don't say anybody shouldn't jackpot, but life is not easy like that anywhere. All right? It's not easy like that anywhere. Okay? I'm saying if everywhere in the world, people are, I mean, people send me mails. I can't pay my this in England. Please, can you come and borrow me? Can people that, people that left this place. Uh, you, you understand this? People are asking and all of that. Now, let me tell you a law that you should never practice wherever you are. Never speak words against the land where you are doing anything, your career or business. If the land hears, it will forbid you from succeeding. Put it up in, in, in Numbers 14 and verse 34. All right. Or verse 33. Okay, let me, let me start from verse 30. Let me just see something. Verse 30. Let me start there. Doubtless shall not come into the land which I swore to give 
You shall not dwell, save Joshua and this. Next verse. But your little ones I will bring in, the same will be a prey. And they shall know the land which you have despised. Verse 32. But as for you, I encourage you to fall in this wilderness. Now verse 34. So let's go on. Verse 34. It says, and the number of days in which you search the land, even 40 days, each day shall be for your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know the breach of my promise. Now next verse. It says, for I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do unto you this evil congregation gathered together against me in the wilderness. They shall be consumed, and they, there they shall die. Verse 36, it says, And all these men which Moses sent to search the land, and returned, and made all the congregation to murmur, bringing up a slander upon the word land. So you can slander people, but you can slander a land. Look at what it says here. Next verse. It says, even those men that did bring an evil report upon the land died. But this one was even wait for 40 years. All right? The land didn't let them survive. So don't bring an evil report upon the land. Don't speak under no circumstance whatsoever negative about your country. You can't be born inside. It's like saying you are causing your father and mother. You can't prosper on the earth. You, are you following me? So don't slander the land. Don't speak all right, negative about anything, all right, okay, speak there, and what you need to do is that confess these things about your future to your own self in your heart first, which means declare these things out there, enlarge the place of thy tent, give yourself a goal, and what I believe is very easy for people to do is this, and I was going to announce it today, church here, just for congregations, campuses, don't, you know, so that everybody's on board. Just say we will double in size this year. You see, if you have 500,000 and you double it to a million, the most important thing is the principles you learned in doubling that thing. Because then the next year it becomes easy for you to get a million to two million. Now, the next year, two million becomes four million. It looks like a joke. But after 10 years, you are talking about from 500,000 to 264 million. You are talking about going towards, and from there, the thing just geometric progression just starts, and it goes. And that's the way success really comes. Like someone said, when we think about one year, it says it will look like we haven't accomplished more. But when we think about the decade, you see how far you have gone. So do that, and I'll explain why. Because when you say, you want to double in size. You see, words make no impact upon your heart if they are not understood in terms of images. So if I tell you that you have a red car, what you don't see now, R-E-D-C-A-R, what you actually see is a red car, which means a red car based on a car that you must have seen, maybe your child or somewhere, and that car just comes up, red car. Now, if I say it's a Mercedes-Benz, you don't see M-E-R-C-E-D-E. -E -E. That's not what you see. You just change it to the picture of a Mercedes-Benz. Are you following what I'm saying there? Okay? All right? If I say it's a, no. I said, no, no, it's now a Volkswagen. You don't see V, you don't see that. You change the image there. So words that you understand create images on the inside. Now, when you make confessions there, you know, one time I went to meet God. He said, so how do you want your, the church to be covenant? This is when we started. I said, I want it to be a word-based prospering church. He said, what does that mean? In other words, it makes, paints no picture there. If you say, I will break forth on the left and on the right, what does that mean? 
God will bless me without measure. What does that mean? Put a fig God to it. And I'll say why people don't want to. Once you start doing that, you are creating an impression. So if I tell everybody, let me tell you why it's so easy now. If I tell everybody in all the campuses that close your eyes now and see this, look around, then I say close your eyes now and see the church twice its size. It's very easy to see it. Very achievable. So say it over and over. In other words, you sit down with it and you begin to say it over and over to yourself. Say it until your whole being swings in harmony with your words. Now you're getting into business now. Then we said you take these words to God and turn to God in prayer. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12. Now, if you are not speaking words or you are speaking the wrong words, when you go to God in prayer, he will answer according to what you have been what? Saying. So 2 Corinthians here, chapter 3 here, and verse 12. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. In other words, our speech is plain. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face. Now, so if the owner of a business says, so at the end of uh, next year, by the end of this year, what is our target? He says, we will have broken forth on the left and on the right. Now, that's not plainness of speech. What he's doing is putting a veil over his face. But if he says at the end of the year we'll have made five billion, at the end of the year everybody will know whether you made five billion or not. The veil is what? Taken off. Do you get what I'm saying? So use great plainness of speech in what you're saying. I'm telling you that few people have dared to say what their heart really is yearning for. Let me repeat what I'm saying. Few people have dared to say clearly what their heart really yearns for. Which means that I'm saying that people that want to get married this year are afraid to say, by the end of this year, I will be married. They will say, God will bless me and honor me and he will send help. Do you understand what I'm saying? We use all these cliches, Christianese, that doesn't make any meaning to your inner consciousness. And when Satan attacks you, he attacks you directly. He doesn't use Christianese and all those words. He comes for you straight. So he says, not like Moses put a veil over his face, all right, when the children of Israel could not steadfastly look, the end was going to be abolished. Verse 14, it now says, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil on taking away in the reading of the Old Testament. Now, this is where we translate from words of hope to the practice of faith, and this is what you need to get. In other words, when you say these things, see, it isn't hard. When you say these things here and you find it difficult to believe that those things will happen, even though your heart really yearns for it, is because there is a veil over your mind concerning that thing, which means you are blind to how that thing will happen. 
if your veil is taken off and you see clearly how it will happen, you will, faith will become logical. It will no longer be an exercise against, do you get what I'm saying? So the veil is right there over. And this is what defeats Christians. They say, once I am born again, I can see because I'm born again. If once you get born again, you know they go to that scripture, the God of his word are blinded in the minds of them that believe not, that what has happened to me is that my, I've believed. So the God of his word is no longer blinding my mind. So I can see very clearly and all of that. So they never ask God to open the eyes of their heart. So what are they doing? They are repeating confessions without seeing anything. And they are repeating. When Elisha told the servant, and he says they are more with us than against us. What, how, did Eli, how did the servant of Elijah get into rest? Was it by going around and saying they are more with us than against us? They are more with us than against us. They are more with us than against us. They are more with us than against us. Then he checks. They are more with us than against us. They are more with us than against us. All Elisha said is, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And once he saw it, he entered into rest. In fact, all that enlargement, and I'll show this here, they are talking about, once you start seeing everything that you think is some massive vision, just shrinks and becomes small in the eyes of what God wants to do. So he says, when we turn, so is that blindfold? That's why Paul prayed in Ephesians. He said that God may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that the eyes of your understanding may be what? Enlightened. That word literally means the eyes of your mind may be opened that you may know. And that opening is even progressive because the light of the path of the just is as a light that shineth brighter and brighter. The intensity of that light can increase. The intensity of the opening of your eyes can grow. If you practice this, I'm telling you that what people are calling faith is mental ascent. What they're calling revelation is that I had an understanding of what the preacher said, not that I saw anything. This is where the failure is. I'm telling you, you will never ask a preacher to explain to you what they said about a subject if your eyes have been opened by God. You will never ask God. You understand what I'm saying? You won't even ask for counseling. If your eyes are open. That's why Jesus said to Peter, he said, who do men they say that I am? So that's what men said. He said, who do you say? When he said, he said, flesh and blood has not revealed. Not that flesh and blood can reveal. He said, this one I'm saying to you, I'm revealing to you. He said, but it's my father who revealed this directly. He said, upon this rock of that revelation, I will build my church. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. What a person, that's why when they came to meet Jesus and they said to Jesus, that's the only prayer I'm praying about the church now. All I'm praying is that everybody has eyes that see and ears that hear. That's all I'm praying. Because, you see, if somebody is sick, it's not that God healed this person because God has already healed that person in Christ. What the prayer should be, God open his eyes for that person to see that they are healed. The day they see they are healed, they will get up by themselves and say, I'm healed and walk out of that place. The reason why somebody is still battling with symptoms, they haven't seen they are healed. 
said this during the week. There's a difference between everybody's trying to keen to praise here, but we've got to understand how praise works. There's a difference between you're praising, 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 praising God, because he said, when I praise you, God, you will do something. In other words, unless when we're praising God, God's head will swell. He will swell. He will swell. Like, you know, like if singer is praising somebody, then he'll begin, then just begin to spray. He'll just begin to spray. All right, then God will just begin to spray the blessing because he said, then when he has finished praying, then he'll come back to himself and say, ah, who bewitched me here? All right? That's what we think. That's not what God is saying here. Our praise is not to get God to do something. Listen, this is how we tell you. If I say somebody has 100 million, I ain't 10 million, and I start praising him, that's flattery. You know, you're a very good man. You know, you're a wonderful man. And you're, uh, can you, that's fine. But if I hear he has already given me the 10 million that I need, that I see him, and I say, I want to thank you. I, look, you're a man of good character. You are acknowledging what he has already done. The praise that works is an acknowledgement that God has already made me complete in Christ, blessed me with every spiritual blessing, solved this particular problem. That's why I am what? Praising you because you have already made the transfer. That's the meaning of perfected praise. When he said, sit, which means enter into rest until I make thine enemies thy footstool. I have five minutes. Let me just go into this. So you go to God in prayer. And he opens your eyes. That's why Jesus, when he came to meet him, he said, no, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. But my father who is in heaven, then he went on. He said, no man can do these things you are doing except God will be with him. He said, except you are born again, you cannot do what? See the kingdom. And then he went further and said, you cannot enter. But you have to see it first. And so you've been making declarations. So when you turn to the Lord, put 2 Corinthians 3 there, God. It says, the veil shall be taken away. All right? Next, next, next verse. For even to this day, when Moses read the veil of the heart. Next verse. He says, nevertheless, when you shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Then he says this. Now the Lord is that spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. What he's saying is that once that veil is taken away, that word liberty means there is no limitation. There are no boundaries to what that person can accomplish. Once the veil is removed, it says, there is nothing. It says, we all with an open face. In other words, the veil removed. We are now beholding present continuous. We will be changed into what we are looking at. Now, here's the point. Once the veil is removed, I like what Lil Yeoman said. She said, and she doesn't believe in any hidden scripture. That once the veil is off, in answer to prayer, anywhere you read in the word of God, you will hear God saying that thing to you. Go to Job, you will see it. Go to Exodus, you will see it. When she had a condition in her body, she outlined the scripture. She said, when I got to Job, I saw that he has a, 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 a the ransom has been paid. His flesh shall return to that of a child. He said, I went to Exodus. I saw it there. I went to Leviticus. I saw it. He said, I started seeing healing everywhere and in every chapter. You will begin to see it everywhere and in every chapter because the veil is off. That scripture, the Bible will be reading you. You are not reading your own self. Now, you know what faith is? That's where you step into the regions of faith. And I'll close here. Once the veil is off, faith is imparted. Because 
Faith is the substance of things that you hoped for. You see, all those confessions are making, there's confessions of hope. Now, the word substance of things hoped for, one translation says, faith is the title deed that the things you once hoped for and desired are now yours. You know what the title deed is? It's a, like, call it Siovo in Nigeria, which is if you buy a land, they give you the title deed. The title deed is more important than the land. Do you understand what I'm saying? Whoever has the title deed has control of that land. So when you go, the person goes to a bank and says, I need a facility, he said, bring the land that you have. Is he bringing the land to the place? No, he's bringing what? The title deed. And once they look at the title deed, they know you have the land. They put the title deed in a vault and your land is locked up. In other words, when God opens the eyes of your understanding, the veil is off, he gives you the title deed for the year. Transfer of all the blessings for 2024 in these scriptures. Here is yours. If you go and meet anybody from that point who is a Christian and you say, let me tell you this. He said, but you've been shouting, talking, you've been double inside that. And the tell me, says, tell me, says, listen to me, it will be so. How? He says, come and read the scriptures God gave me. Give that person, they read, they read, they say, that's it. You have it. Now, what's the closure here? Now you get into the point after you got the title deed, which means what was once something you desired is now yours. You have it there written. It is not a title deed. It is not a physical thing. That's why if you are inside the car, the police, if a policeman stops you, a person in authority, they don't ask, are you the owner of this car? You say yes. The fact that you are in the car doesn't mean you are the owner. They ask you for the word papers. And whoever's name is on the papers has control over that car. Once you have title deed, you have control over the experience. Do you get what I'm saying? The police say, who is the owner of this car? This is the name on the papers. Call the person. They call the person. Are you so so and so? Identify yourself. So what are you saying? Let him go. You have control over it because you, the title deed is in your name. So what God transfers in answer to prayer is not the manifestation, our title deeds. That's why Paul said, make your request known unto God, and the what? Peace of God that passeth all understanding shall do what? Guard your heart and mind. In other words, when God answers the prayer, he answers it with what? Peace. Not with manifestation, but with what? Peace. And what does the peace come from? Psalm 85 and verse 8. It says this. It says, the Lord shall speak. I shall, Psalm 85. I will hear what God will speak. For he will speak what? Peace to his people. Then to his saints. He said, don't let them turn again to folly. Which means once he has given you that peace there, keep beholding that thing he has said until the manifestation comes. That's why Paul went on and said that, listen, whatever things are pure, think upon these things. Because it's what is inside your thought life that you are thinking upon and meditating upon. Those are the things that will manifest in your life. Are you following what I'm saying? So you want to bring anything into manifestation, you have to do it through meditation. 
meditation there is that you sit down. I mean, I, I told them, I went to preach it, but yes, I said on my way to Bada, I just lay back inside the car and I was meditating. And I entered into Wolfbeck 2025 and I began to meditate on it. See, on my way back in meditation, as the year got halfway, three quarters way, people came, came to tell me that it's impossible to do Wolfbeck inside this place. I saw it in meditation with the growth of the ministry. I have a picture of how the last night in TBS will be meditation. As a Christian, it's not when something is happening you are finding out. The Holy Spirit will show you things that are toward come. All right? And as you just get there and you begin to go over it and meditate, we'll get in that and go over it, but your eyes must be fixated upon what he has shown you. That's why it says it's like a light that shines in a dark place. Take heed unto it until the day dawns and the day star rises in your heart. Let me close. A friend of mine sent me this on meditation and you see what it's all about. Because what happens is you first see the evidence and as you begin to meditate on it, after some time, the reason why that thing will happen, you see it in your life. After some time, how it's going to happen, you see it and you go and implement it. He sent me this on meditation. You know, yesterday I was telling, in my life I have never seen it. I was talking to my mother. And sat down. So he started, but she told me, said, are you going to go to Susu and So place? I said, no, nah, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go there. Somebody invited me to go and preach there. Out of my mouth, I just said it. I'm going to start a church in that place. I'll go there and start it. She said, what, what are you talking about? It's the first time I ever said it consciously to anybody. I've been meditating on it. You see, please, let me just say this here. And people, I know people are watching all over, but just for the sake of this. I was going to Abuja on Thursday, and God showed me something. I went into a shop where they sell things. And you know, you never see anybody in the shop. Hmm? You know, it's airports. You just never see anybody in the shop. So I went there and I said, do you people actually make money here? Because I don't see anybody inside the shop. And the lady turned to me. We make an average of 20 million every month. She said, we're on 17 million, as I'm speaking to you. And we have one more week to go. God told me, there is more money than you think. If that small shop is making 20 million a month, do you know, are you following what I'm saying here? But when you carry a consciousness of lack, you will never see it. God told me, said, I said that for you to understand how much is going around. But when you have a consciousness that there is lack, you will never say, I said, 20, this small shop. Now, how many small shops are inside this place? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You mean billions are moving out here on afterthought? Because a person who is traveling is not thinking of buying anything. It's because he got there and they delayed flight or it's going around. Afterthought, billions. Conscious thought, what is coming out? 
That's why in meditation you change your consciousness. Because everything is coming out of that place. And there's no way you can change it without you sitting down to start meditating upon it. On God's promises. Uh, we'll talk about this. Where you are beholding and looking at it and it's being changed, all right, from one place, all right, to another place. Where you see yourself on another level, all right? And you start looking at those things. And once you're fixated on that, and you, you're no longer even considering what is on the outside, those things will begin to happen with ease. Satan is using the mechanism God gave to us to work miracles to stop us from advancing. He has no power on the outside other than to sell a lie to you, to cause you to speak the lie, to visualize the lie, to internalize the lie, so he can produce the lie as a truth. That's all. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. I pray by the power of your spirit that you establish us in this truth, cause it to take deep root within us and bring forth massive fruit in our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. All right. God bless you all.